Where are you guys? Do, do you actually say dance, prance, France, and chance? Well, being it? from New Zealand, dance. Prance. I say dance, and then every now and then I slip up and say dance. I say I'm in a hybrid accent. I say dance, France. I definitely France. say France. So you're you, you learnt to speak in New Zealand. Mm. Chance. I, I learnt to speak in South Australia. Yeah, yeah. You, you've got a South Australian accent. I think it's weird. I don't know. My father is English, mm. British, but he lived in Australia since he was a child. But there's a chance that that auntsiness comes from England. I don't know. I but think it's a it South does, Australian thing. Though. It is a South Australian. It thing. is an English I, thing. Though. I had I lived with a housemate uh, for a while, and she was from South Australia, from Adelaide, and she asked she, she used aunts instead of ants. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, but I, I mean, I have, I have a habit of, of mimicking people that I talk to and somewhat repeating there stuff. So, if I say answer. Without even trying I'm to think of it. You. If, okay. if you say, if you say it and then I try to, try to say something that's along the similar lines, I will say, I will pronounce it differently. We could have fun with this. <laughs> um, but I have some, we- I have some weird pronunciation things of my own. You don't sound like a New Zealander. I don't anymore. I've been here for 10 years. Say fish. Fish. Say six. Six. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Sorry. Oh. <laughs> do, you go, do you do the same about Australians? Do you really oh, yeah. Australian accent? In New Zealand, yeah. of course. But when I'm here, they all go, oh, you're so New Zealand sounding. And then when you go there, they're like, oh, you sound so Australian. So now I can't win. Now I just yeah. get made fun of all over the world. I had that experience as a kid as well. I lived in the States for a couple of years mm. um, in primary school, in uh, what's it called? Elementary school. And um, they made fun of my Australian accent. And then I got back and everyone made fun of an American accent. Yep. I know your pain. Mm. It wasn't that bad. Except everyone called me Bin instead of Ben. <laughs> <laughs> Took a while to get over. <laughs> Sorry, I won't laugh. Clearly, it's still a, a sensitive issue. No, it's really not. People called me that for years, and I didn't care. <laughs> yeah. Children kids, are so mean. Yes, mm. kids can be so cruel. Um, so, by the time you out there in listener land are listening to this, uh, there's a chance, in fact, it may have already happened, that uh, there will have reached that 50 billion app download milestone. Mm. Indeed. Uh, What's the prize? Well, there's a prize. I think there's a prize. Why are, we, why are we not just sitting here downloading apps? They probably take enough money. They like. I think. I think. Recent in in previous like uh, versions of this same milestone, like you know when they hit like million apps or whatever. Um, yeah, they gave away like ten thousand dollars in iTunes credits or in, something. I'm pretty sure it is. 10, the customer who downloads the fifty billionth app. Wins a US $10,000 App Store gift card. Look at that. And I didn't even do any, like, pre-reading of this or anything. It has to be slightly rigged. I mean, imagine if the 50 billionth one was Fart App or something. There is no way Apple would publicize that. Well, the chances are that it would be something like that, right? Mm. The App Store is fascinating because um, as anyone who's, you know, spent any time thinking about how to make a successful app on the App Store. The charts seem really fickle. There are things that are, you know, um, being featured in the top 10 or something within a particular category is enough to sort of perpetuate that position for a a little while. But even 
people that have created really great quality apps, if they've shared their stats, and often they'll have this huge sort of launch spike, and then it will drop down to quite a low level of downloads once they're kind of off the front page and out of the news. But at the same time, it's probably got a really, really long tail. There's probably a gazillion apps out there that are having a couple of downloads a day. Um, so who knows? Who knows what the 50 billionth will be? Um, but so as part of this whole 50 billion app things, Apple has uh, announced the top all-time downloaded apps in each app store. Um, and it's an interesting list to look at. So um, depending on whether you're on an iPhone or an iPad and which uh, place in the world you are, you'll see a different list. Um, I'm currently looking at the top all-time apps on my iPhone in Australia. And amongst the top all-time free apps are things like Facebook, Skype, Instagram, Viber, eBay, YouTube, Shazam, Facebook Messenger, Words with Friends Free, Draw Something, Bump, Temple Run, Google Search, iTorch, Flashlight Utilities, Paper Toss, Commonwealth Bank Finance App, Angry Birds Free, Free Ninja Free, Twitter, Google Earth, uh, and then I've got a tap to see more. Um, I find that an in, a really interesting list, and the top all-time paid ones also include uh, Angry Birds, WhatsApp, Messenger, Fruit Ninja, Doodle Jump, uh, a bunch of games, Camera Plus is in there, TuneIn Radio, uh, Flight Control. I think it's it's interesting, given how sort of um, turbulent the App Store rankings are, to sort of take a step back every now and then and have a look at this sort of aggregate data of who's, which apps have been downloaded the most over the lifetime of the app store. And a more intelligent person than I could probably then draw some conclusions about what that would mean for the sort of app you should create if you want to try and create one that is going to be equally popular. Um, but yeah, it's an interesting list. You guys notice any, uh, any inclusions on that list that surprise you or omissions that surprise you? Or? It surprises me that uh, that iView is on there. Oh, right. Sorry. <laughs> uh, if you're looking at it on the iPad in Australia, iView, I think, is the seventh most downloaded iPad app of all time. Uh, and on all iOS platforms in Australia, it's the number one most downloaded entertainment app, which is pretty cool. Congrats. Uh, thank you. I mean, you developed it. Right. Part of a team. Yeah. But uh, I don't think people are downloading it because um, of the features of the app. I think people are downloading it because of the content it allows you to access. So uh, I don't think that there was much I did. I think it's possibly its popularity. The, the, the down- everybody's downloading it because you developed it. Mm. Specifically because you developed it. Yeah, right. Yeah, of course. Good. You know, I've got some other apps out there then. They're not. They're not charting. <laughs> I think that puts well, a hole cl- in that clearly, clearly, we need to. They, they, they just don't know about them yet. Yeah, right. Yeah. No, but it was um, it's awesome to have been able to be involved in working on an app that uh, gets so widely used. It's pretty cool. Yeah. So this week, I thought that it might be kind of nice to uh, change 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 tracks a little bit. Uh, we've done a lot of like, what are we up to? Our eighth episode now. Yeah, I believe you. I think that's I think that's the case, um, and 
we've done so we've done quite a lot of like we've covered a lot of development topics which is which is really nice and we'll continue to do that over the uh over the course of the show uh but today i thought we might change tracks a little bit and talk about some design stuff um and we i mean i i i have a background in, in design a bit uh i've you know i was a designer before i was a a developer and uh I mean, you, you guys have both had, had a hand in actually, you know, doing some design work f- for your apps as well. So I thought we might, uh, might discuss that a little bit. Yeah, I think that's a great idea. Cause, um, that's actually a feature common if going back to that list of top downloaded all time apps. If you have a look at all of them, uh, pretty much all of them are got, you know, pretty good design in there as well. Yeah. Um, I think it is a prerequisite to make a successful app is for it to be not only well developed, but well designed, well conceived. Definitely. Um, and going like and going forward, like there's there's a lot of discussion around at the moment about uh, about the ch- the possible change in design of of iOS uh, as a whole because of uh, because Johnny Ive has taken over the human interface design. Hang on, I I re- reject the premise of your statement. I think that the speculation is not because of the change in personnel. I think um, the speculation about the change in personnel is because of the speculation about design trends that preceded. I think personally, I, I think, think it's partial. Like it's partially both. Go- it goes both ways. Yeah, I reckon more is being made of it by the speculation than than exists in reality. I'm sure that there was a personnel change for whatever reason, and design trends come and go. But I don't personally. I don't put too much. Store stock in this idea that Johnny Ive is going to come in and flatten the whole OS. Yep. No, I, I, I well, I didn't say that. I, I thought that was going to be the case either. Uh, but there is a lot of speculation out there that this there is the case. Is. It's rampant. It is. Everybody's going crazy over this, uh, and does it does stem somewhat from the uh, the fact that um there's a there's a big argument at, at the moment about whether or not. Uh, it's you know flat design is better or skeuomorphic design is better, yeah. which is and again is, is really kind of uh, a weird argument to have. I, I find that argument so frustrating. To me, it's almost as frustrating as the argument about whether native apps are better than web apps, because um, I don't think it needs to be a, an either <coughs> or. These two ideas don't have to be pitted against one another. Like you don't, yeah. For one to be successful, the other doesn't have to fail. I think in both. Native versus web and skeuomorphic versus flat or authentically digital. Um, there are situations in which any one of those is a good idea and can be well well implemented and well executed. So I, I would hate to see all traces of skeuomorphism disappear because I think it has its place. And likewise, I think the flat, flatter, more authentically digital design has its place. Right. What about what about you? Ben? I think it depends on the the use case. I mean, you can't say native's always better or skeuomorphic's always better. I think it depends on the app you're making. So, yeah, and I think to to me, so I am not a designer. I like to think about design, and I like to think about, I guess, um, how who's going to use the apps I work on, what they want to do with them, and how best the app should. Um, help meet those needs. And so I think there's elements of design that, that filter into that. Um, yeah, so that's my caveat that I'm not a designer. But at the same time, to me, that's what design is about, is about thinking about who's going to use it 
and what they want to use it for and using that to inform decisions about what functionality it should have and how that functionality should be exposed to people and what it should look like. Yeah, and I, I think I think you're right. And I think that, like, I think functionality is something that um, the design community seems to have forgotten about a little bit with, with a lot of these, a lot of the discussions that are going around now. Um because it doesn't like uh, neither neither flat design nor schemorphic design is inherently more usable uh, and and or more functional. Um, it's it's really just a like a, a coding um, on on you know on the the actual functional design uh, part of that. And design actually does go a lot deeper than that because it has to. Design has a lot to do with with um, how the app works and 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 like you said, yeah, you know, even, how how functionality is actually uh, is is made available to the user. Yeah, I think it even starts with the idea of what the app is. Hmm. You know, the design goes into the thinking about what 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 need is the app trying to meet and what does it do in order to meet that need. Right. And I think so. So I think that you know, good design, whether it's flat or schematic, uh, is is something that is uh, is inherently usable. And it's not. It's, it doesn't have to be. Um, what's the word that, that people like to use? Intuitive. It doesn't have to be intuitive as long as it's something that actually gets the job done. Mm. Um, intuitive is one of those kind of uh, buzzwords that gets kind of thrown around at the moment with, uh, you know, because, you know, in order for an app to be usable, it has to be intuitive. It has to, you know, you have to be able to pick it up and magically know how it works. And that's not necessarily the case with all apps. Uh, and it's certainly not a, not the case with, you know, all the apps that are on the, uh, in the top 25, but they get, they do a job and they do it really well. And that comes down to the way that they've been designed. Yeah, definitely. Um, and, so the so so the kind of other side of the, to the, this this conversation or kind of you know further to this conversation is you know using icons and stuff in in your in in your apps. Uh, have you guys um have you guys used a, like do you guys use a lot of iconography in in your applications that you've developed? A little, but only a very little. So to be fair, I guess um yeah, the limit of my thinking about design is sort of uh gets to how the app's structured, how the what appears on each screen within the app and how you get from one screen to the next. And then I usually work with a designer to work out the details of what's on each screen and what it looks like. Um or, or in the absence of a designer, I um for some projects try and get by on my own and turn to things like Glyphish or other icon libraries for yeah, for you know, you've got a tab bar based app, for example, you need an icon in each tab so people have a sense of what that tab can do. Yep. You know, a magnifying glass for search or a camera for taking a picture or things like that. So that's as far as the iconography I've done, but I don't give it a great deal of thought. I just pick something from my set of icons that I've already paid for that looks like it would meet the bill. Okay. Yeah, and I mainly work on games and I get paired with a designer at work. So most of our icons are always custom to be themed in with whatever game we're working on, so... Yeah, fair enough. And a lot of your games are aimed at kids, aren't they? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, so in that case, do you probably wouldn't expect all of your audience to be reading the text? Oh, we try and avoid pretty much text. I mean, we make storybooks as well, but the storybooks are always read out. Um, in fact, most of our games don't even have text to explain things. We always use a narrator or try and use right. big images. Yeah. 
So the iconography there really does need to convey exactly what it is. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And we probably wouldn't use a floppy disk for save because our kids wouldn't even know what a floppy disk was. So, yeah. That's actually a very interesting question because uh, it's it's something that the design community is kind of very um, up in arms about at the moment. What do you, what do you what do you think about the the, the idea of using a flop, floppy disk? What, what I mean, what do you guys use? Well, to be honest, we've never even had a save icon because it just saves automatically. Yeah, so the, it's interesting. I think the concept of save is disappearing. Like iOS doesn't really have a concept of save. Certain apps yeah, true. do, but the operating system as a whole and the guidance Apple give developers is that your app should just remember its state yep. all the time without use, requiring explicit user action. <coughs> Like even Apple's apps that are document-based that you might expect to have save, like word, um, pages, almost said word. word. There's no word for iOS yet, is there? No, there's the not. Let's take bets, right? Who reckons word for iOS will have a save icon? I'm going to go with no. I'm going to go with yes. Yeah, I think I'm going to go with yes too. I don't think that it should, but uh, I worry. I fear that it might. Uh, but yeah, certainly Apple's pages doesn't. You, when you, you know, your, your document is continually saved and when you finish working on it, you just tap the documents button to go and have a look at another one or you tap the home button on your device to quit, do something else. So I think, um, Apple are trying to get, and even on the desktop, right? Apple are trying to get us away from thinking about all of the things we've grown up thinking about in terms of file systems, knowing where, where within the computer's logical file system a document is stored and things like saving making an explicit right action to so i think that kind of concept's going but whilst it still remains you know um certainly i it's interesting i had that same idea that i thought that the save the floppy disk icon was meaningless for save because who uses floppy disks anymore but um i can't remember where i saw it but i saw some uh primary research that was done where some people showed a bunch of icons to people out there and said uh ask pose two questions what is this thing that's depicted and on a computer, what would you expect a button with this label on it to do? And the majority of people recognized the floppy disk as being a floppy disk and that interacting with it would cause the thing to be saved. Yeah, I don't think you could ever use another icon for save. You would have to reword it or change the whole concept because it's so ingrained in people's heads. You just can't change. Yeah, it's kind of become, you know, people may, may not anymore know the origins of that icon, mm. um, but they're sort of certainly know what it means which is odd right because most of the most of the people who are saying oh let's change the the save icon want to change it to something that is uh is abstract just kind of doesn't have a real world uh analog analog and that's that's essentially what the the current save icon is now like it's something that's completely abstract it's it's, the real world analog is meaningless now yeah it's meaningless now like it's the same as seeing like the little reel-to-reel thing in your in your uh, for voicemail in uh in the phone app or 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 even like the little you know the, the shape of the handset that's on the on the phone apps icon uh these these things are relatively meaningless now. It's, I find it really, really fascinating. I've, I am a parent of a two-year-old, and um, the only place he's ever seen, like, a, that curved handset yep. is in books or, you know, a- other representations of what a phone 
yep. used to look like. He's never encountered one in the real world. Right. Um, but he's already at two learned that that means phone and that that's kind of the same thing as the piece of glass I carry around in my pocket. Right. And like even now, like, and if you, if you, uh, if you kind of take this uh, a step away from, uh, from, you know, app development and applications and icons and stuff like that and look at like comics, um, because I mean, comics is a hugely visual medium. Even, even these days, a lot of comics utilize, uh, old school versions of, uh, of things, especially in very simplified, you know, simple looking, uh, in, in simple looking, uh, illustrations. They use, you know, the, the old school style, uh, items because of, because their shape, uh, signifies a specific, you know, action. If somebody's, you know, holding their tiny little iPhone to their head, it's, it doesn't necessarily mean it's, uh, it's not necessarily clear that they're on the phone, but if they're holding like the big ass, you know, thing, you banana know, shaped you know thing. banana shaped thing that's got the the little curly cord coming off it, uh, then you know it's it's a phone. Like they're on the phone, it's very clear. Uh, and you know they they use like old school CRT monitors because it you know because that is is a monitor, whereas like a an LCD, which is just like a you know a flat thing, uh, is is a lot harder to kind of convey i guess so i think i mean drawing this conversation sort of back towards app development i think so long as the iconography you're using conveys the meaning you're hoping it will convey in your users yeah then i think it's appropriate um and whether or not that means picking something that represents a kind of more oldie world uh artifact that we don't actually really encounter anymore um you know, I think to me the surprise I had was seeing that that information that's saying that a, a majority of people did recognise the floppy disk as meaning safe, um, and the, not just of people. It was broken down into demographics, so the eighteen to twenty five age group amongst whom you might think that it was least likely to be recognised, um, still recognised it. Right. Majority. So to me, that brings back that because it drives home this constant need to test assumptions and to sort of say, this is a choice I'm making about some design actually test it with people and get responses um right and test it with people who who like who don't have the same knowledge that you have like i think it's important that you test people like test with with the people who are actually going to like the sort of people who are going to be using the app yeah definitely uh going to be using the software because like if you if you just kind of hand it around to all your mates and go okay what you know is this fine they're not going to think about it but if you know you know you hand it you hand a, a game to a you know a that's made for for kids to like a to a to a child uh they they will instantly like be able to you know that that you you'll instantly know that you know this is wrong and this is wrong because they ha- they're confused by it or whatever yeah uh, we actually have a big problem with that yeah in the other way around because our kids apps have to appeal to the parents so for quick math we have it's handwriting recognition so it's just asked you some math questions and you write yep. the answer on the screen Yep. And we get a lot of parents saying, it doesn't recognize my seven, therefore I won't give it to my child because he'll just get frustrated by it. Even though all our testing shows that it works really well on kids' handwriting and it's actually adults' handwriting we struggle more with. And so, we, we're constantly battling trying to impress both, whereas they're very different markets. Right. Yeah. That's a, it's a real, that's a real challenge, isn't it? Hmm. That the person who makes the decision about whether to download or purchase the app isn't the user. Yeah. Um, so, we got a review the other day that said, I almost didn't give this game to my child because I didn't really like the look of it. 
But when I gave it to him, it turns out he really loved it. Yeah. And it was just like, well, that's good. <laughs> at least they gave it over. If you look at, like, other instances where there's a, a disconnect between the user and the purchaser and what that leads to in terms of app design, um, the biggest one I can think of is the sort of corporate IT environment, right? Historically, the people making the decisions about what software to equip to put on machines are the kind of IT types that have their own, I guess, criteria for evaluating what they're looking for. And the users mightn't make the same choices. And that's probably led to enterprise software in some cases being full of the sort of features that appeal to people making decisions about whether that should be rolled out across their organization. And We're going to replace our entire office suite with Vim. Right. Because it's <laughs> so much faster. <laughs> it's more efficient. <laughs> oh, it's interesting. Yeah. Look, I think I think it's one of these things, and I think going back like to the very beginning is you know this th- icons like you know save and that sort of thing are, are going away to some extent, especially save. Uh, and you know these days you see the like the little action icon in the box with the arrow coming out of it, mm-hmm. uh, and that typically means that you're doing something like uh, you're sending the sending the the data whatever's in the app uh, outside of the app. Right. Yeah. It's which- going out there where the arrow is pointing. Yeah, which typically uh, was breaking out of the box. Yeah. yeah. The sandbox. It is. That's, that is, is out of the box thinking. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, it's, it's kind of, uh, it, it's, it's replacing the, the original, like, uh, method of doing things, which was, you know, you save the file and then you use the, you go into Finder or you go into uh, Windows Explorer or whatever system you're using and you find the file and then you put it into your email and do all that sort of stuff. And we're, we're, we're getting to a point where it's, you know, instead of doing any of that, the data is in the app that you're using to get it out of the app and to share it with other people to to move it to another app or anything like that. You use these action icons, you use the, like a sharing menu to, to, to get that out of there. Mm. And so, I, items like, you know, save and stuff don't really exist anymore um, or shouldn't exist anymore. It's, mm. it's not a requirement anymore. Uh, and so, I think, I think that- um, when it comes down to it, does that mean like that basically- you know, when you when you're designing your apps, when you're putting uh, when you're putting thoughts into you know what iconography you should be using, you should be not just thinking about okay, what picture am I going to use, but is this the correct way that I should be doing this sort of functionality, um, rather than just kind of going okay, well we're going to save files and so there's going to be a save icon, but right. I'm not going to use a regular save icon. I want to use a different save icon. Yeah. Is is saving something really something that you should be doing in your app? Yeah. And I'd say the same about an icon I see in lots of apps being a home icon. Right. Um, now, it certainly appears in apps I've worked on and I can understand why. But at the same time, I often think that there's a an immediate assumption that an app needs a home icon, a little picture of a house that takes people to the home. Yeah. And I think that's kind of uh, an idea that's, come migrated from the web right into apps and where people sometimes think of apps as being analogous to, to websites where you have sections and uh, there's a home you know when you launch the app the first thing you see um, is analogous to the home page of a website when you right. first visit it yep. and then when you navigate away from that to other sections of the app it's analogous to clicking on a section of a website and you need a way of getting back again or getting home again. Um, so I can understand there is 
similarities there. Um, but, yeah, I, I like that idea of questioning even that first assumption of, well, should this app have a home um, or does it not need one? Right. Um, yeah, I, I prefer sort of thinking of apps as, um, yeah, I guess things things that have state and uh, there are actions you can take to affect that state and to cause it to transition from one state to the next rather than thinking it about it's something that's like a structure, uh, hierarchical structure of sections or documents that are linked together more like a website. Mm. I think that subtle shift in how you think about it sometimes then leads to different design decisions in terms of how you lay things out, what icons you use to depict the different sections and things like that. Absolutely. Do you have home buttons in your games? We have back buttons. Yep, go back to where you were. Yes. Return to the menu. I think we do have a home button at some point. Um, but most of the time we use back buttons, not home. I guess games have a much more familiar structure in the sense you launch it and you're at the game menu options screen. Yeah. Then you commit, start playing it and you enter a playback environment or a, sorry, a gameplay environment. And then at the end of that, you return to the menu slash settings. Yeah, and at, at any point, you might be able to go back to the menu to, you know, to save your game or to, you know, load a different game or to uh, change the options or anything like that. I think that's typically how games work. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So, we have a pause menu, which has yeah. a so games, return to main you menu. Know, so, games have, a, have, have the benefit of having a... a uh, like an existing structure that they that you can kind of uh, you can work off. That's right. An interesting question for you. Um, in the kids' games you've worked on, um, what do you do about the physical home button on the device? Because I've worked on some kids' stuff too, and there was a tension between, as an iOS developer, what I wanted the app to be able to do is um, everything that Apple suggests, which is uh, in iOS 4 they brought in multitasking or um, the support for the fact that your app would be um, kind of, I don't know, put into a hibernation-like sleep in the background and then could be seamlessly restored from that to continue running where you left it um, so that you didn't have to start your app from the beginning each time you tapped on its icon on Springboard. Um, and the intention with that was the idea that ki in, in testing with kids, so frequently they use that physical button as an escape hatch as saying, I'm a bit lost in the world of this game. I'm just going to hit the physical button on the device and go back to, you know, start again. And then they might choose another game or they might actually use that as a way of navigating, like kind of within an app, like getting back to the app's menu because they couldn't figure out how to do it using on-screen uh, interactions. So do you go, so I think um, that tension has been resolved differently in the different kids apps I've worked on in one instance, I think I worked on an app where the decision was to not to opt out of multitasking, so to make sure that every time the app uh, was left, that when you returned to it, rather than returning to where it was left off, it returns to the title screen again. And in a different uh, app, the decision was to basically have a pause-style screen, so that if you were using uh, multitasking um, and you switched out of the app and went back to it, uh, that it would return to where you left off, but overlaid on top of the screen would be a basic two options, continue playing from where you left off or start again. 
So to kind of make it easier for people to get back to the beginning. What yeah, we, we've done different things in different apps. So the apps that are more targeted towards older kids or adults, like Pocket Words, say, will go to a pause screen so you can continue your game. Um, the real young kids apps, actually, we just go straight back into the game. We don't even have a pause because we found they just, like, quit and open it all the time. Right, yeah. And if it constantly went back to the start, I think that would annoy a lot of parents who are reading, because it's a storybook, so... If you're constantly jumping back to the start of the storybook every time the kid mashed the home button, because they just like to push anything. Yeah. We thought that would be annoying. And, and we I, haven't I, heard anything. Yeah. No, I think that, that makes a lot of sense, because I think kids also sometimes accidentally trigger the multi-touch, multi-touch multitasking gestures, you know, a four-finger mm. swipe to the next app. They might accidentally do that by mashing a whole palm across the screen and accidentally swipe across to whatever app you were using last. and then It'll be HBO Go with uh, showing your Game of Thrones. It could be. <laughs> <laughs> Awkward. Then you quickly switch back, uh, and if you had opted out of multitasking, then the app would, re- would restart. Re- restart, which yeah. would be terrible. Um, so, yeah, I, th- I think I think that makes a lot of sense. But then the added complexity is, well, what about the experience where they haven't been using the app for, like, a week or two? Yeah, the- in that case, it starts. We don't save state in terms of where you're up to in the book because the stories are quite short. Right. So, if it will the restart device has, has caused your app to have actually been quick quit. That's right. It'll, it'll go it'll back restart. to the main menu. Do you do anything to um, deal with a situation where your app has actually continued to be kind of in memory? You know what I mean? In that state of but in the for background. For a long period. For a long period. Like, do you do a look at a timestamp since last time? No, we don't, time? actually. Might be something to look at. Yeah, it's something we've looked at before is sort of differentiating that return to app state. So, if you're returning to an app after having frequently used it, you get one experience. But if you return to an app after having not used it for an extended period of time, then you get a kind of reset. Um, Hmm. Hmm. Another thing we do is parents who email in saying like, I know we've had a couple, I think, email in saying, can you disable the home button, which we can't do. Do you then tell them about the guided access? Guided access. So, we have a little article we link them to and go through that. And that seems to help, but no, we can't actually disable the home button. Yeah. Sorry for any parents listening. Don't think there's many that wouldn't know that. The um, the challenge, I find it really challenging as a developer of an app to to deal with those situations where the operating system has features which would make the user's use of that app easier, but the users don't know about it. So, mm. Especially con- guided access. Guided access is a, is a really big one for kids' stuff. Um if you don't know about guided access, it's actually in the accessibility section, which I think is a bit hidden. Like, I don't, to me, guided access is useful for more than um, just where you're looking at, at accessibility options. I think for lots of cases, it's useful. Gosh, uh, I'd think that it, it would be even, not even, how, how does that kind of appeal to accessibility? So, when it was introduced, I think Steve Jobs was still with us then, and he described it as being useful for children. Who's have for people whose limited whose attention spans are limited, okay. Um, where you might want to have some assistance in keeping them focused on a particular task, right? Um, and so that category could include all sorts of people of different stages of development, some of whom might be people with just intellectual disabilities, yep. Um, some of whom might be young kids, some of whom, yeah, uh, might be people sitting on a plane and the airline that's providing the iPads want to force you to only use their app. Uh, so, I think guided access is useful for those sorts of kiosk mode devices uh, where, you know, you want to make sure the devices can only launch a single app and remain in that app. 
but also for parents with kids if um you want to stop them from constantly tapping the home button to do a million other things on your device um sometimes i use uh i use it with the photo uh album app the built-in one um my two-year-old likes to look at photos but i don't want him deleting them or tweeting them <laughs> or so i'll just choose an album that contains photos that he enjoys looking at put it in guided access mode and um, in guided access mode if you haven't used it, it's in accessibility um, you can set a pin so that if you tap the home button um, it won't quit the app and return to springboard without you putting in a four-digit pin um, but then once you start the guided access mode um, it kind of takes the what's on screen and um, allows you to use your finger to draw areas of the screen uh, to delineate regions in the screen that you want to disable. Um, yeah. So you can just draw a circle around, you know, the buttons you don't want your kid to be able to use. And then, uh, and then it starts the mode and in which in that mode, the app is running and those sections of the UI are disabled. I have to say that that little interface for creating those areas for, for, uh, you know, where you don't want it to, to be able to touch, uh, uh, that that interface is 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 great. I just you know yeah, it's a really elegant. It's really solution. really nice little solution because yeah. it's it it's it's very simple and straightforward. Uh, you know, you just draw, you just kind of go, okay, this is the area that I want, and this is the area yeah. that I want, and this is the area I want. Uh, so yeah. the one downside about it is that um people don't know about it. Yeah, yeah. no one really knows it about is. it. No one knows about it. I mean, uh, you guys like, I don't know if you can get stats of whether guided access is in use when your app is running, but uh, you know. Yeah, with things like um, uh, yeah, apps I've worked on, the the number of people who actually use settings that allow you to tailor the app to your kids, for example, is so few. Mm. Most of the time, people are going to use the app with the defaults, so they're going to be using. There's the one setting a lot of parents use because it's very obvious, and it's aeroplane mode because yeah. it at least stops them from tweeting and yeah. Stuff yeah, like that. I think I I honestly think that guided access is uh is partially out of place in accessibility mm. because the major use that it can like uh, like the, like the major use case for it is for kids and yep. for parents with kids and it makes a lot more sense for it to be somewhere that uh, that is going to be it's easier for them to find i think that it, this um the hidden nature of accessible of guided access is a little bit um of an example of apple's kind of uh, sense that iOS devices are personal devices. Yeah. That there's not, there's very little, um, attention given to the idea that these devices are shared between multiple people. And in some cases, people with vastly different needs, like a parent and their child, uh, using the same phone. Like, I think in Apple's view of the world, the kid has their own iPod touch or their own iPad that just has kid stuff on it. And the parent has their own iPhone, um, you know, that just has their apps on it. Right. Uh, whereas I think, um, yeah, uh, I think the reality is that these devices are shared, um, even amongst, you know, adults. I think often, you know, my wife will reach for my iPhone because it's closer and use it yeah. to do something. But um, especially, I, I think especially though, when it comes to like, when it comes to like parents and kids, because a lot of the time, uh, you'll, you'll see that like the kid just is super interested in, in the phone that, that dad is using. Yeah, of course. Uh, you know, I, I want to play with it now. Can I, can I play a game, please? Uh, and like, and that's, that's a huge, a huge thing. Like it's, it's not something that you kind of, oh, I see it every now and then. Like I see that all the time. Yeah. It's, uh, it's pretty. I mean, and, and 
there is very little like without gu- so guided access you can set up um but it takes a lot of taps to get to enable that mode um you know, it'd be nice if there was, yeah. Well, you only have to switch it on once. And then after that, you've got the, I think, you triple, triple click. Triple, triple, triple click, yeah. Yeah. So, you only and really have to go on the settings app one once. time. And then triple click and tap start. Pin or something. Mm-hmm. And it actually remembers the, um, it remembers the regions you've previously defined. So, if you toggle guided access on for an app that you've already defined regions in, it'll remember the regions so you that's had last time. Oh, nice. Basis? Yeah. yeah. Nice. Guided access. It's uh, it's the bomb diggity. Yeah. So uh, I think, I think to kind of get back on on track a little bit, uh, and just kind of I don't know, possibly wrap up the yeah, episode. I think, I think it's probably time to wrap up. Uh, so I, I wanted to k- kind of just uh, provide, I guess, a, a little bit of a, a tidbit that I that I've uh, I've used in progressions for for doing icons. Uh, in a way that is um, not quite as hefty. So, uh, for those of you who, you know, do do any sort of uh, images in your apps uh, that aren't Apple, uh, Apple uh, come from Apple, you know that you've got to have uh, the two different sizes for, for each individual image, one for retina and one for uh, non-retina. Um and in progressions, one of the things that I do is I have I have several different areas that kind of have different looks. Uh, you know, there's there are bars that are black, and so there, there are icons of white and stuff like that. And there are bars that are, are, are lighter coloured, uh, and then you can have you know different. There's there's different themes that you can put onto it uh, for for the dark mode and the light mode. And so there's all these different icons that I have to have versions of icons that I have to have, uh, then sizes of icons that I have to have, and uh, it was kind of getting a little out of hand. Um, so, one of the things that I did was I I looked into using vector images. Specifically, I use PDFs for for, uh, for progressions uh, so that I can basically have a single vector image for every icon that I want, regardless of where it's going to be sitting, what color it's going to be, what styling is going to be on it. And then I generate all of the uh, all of the actual imagery from that. Oh, nice. Um, so, one of the little tricks that I, I, I used was there's, an, there's, an, there's a library. I think it's called something like Image PDF. Uh, and I'll, uh, I'll throw a link to that into the show notes. Uh, it's, an, it's, a, it's a little library that you can include that what it does is it adds, uh, it, it adds methods to UI image uh, and UI image view, I think. Uh, so that you can load a PDF as an image, uh, and you can load it in various sizes and various different you know methods, which is uh, not too dissimilar from from Nimbus's uh, from network view, where you can you know change the size and cache it and do all that sort of stuff. Uh, this version is very very similar, except it allows you to use PDFs as a uh, as as an image. Nice. And so what you can do is you can create your icon uh, in I guess Illustrator now. Now that they've they're killing off fireworks, uh, and they killed off freehand a long time ago, didn't they? Yeah, I think so. That's showing my age. So you can create your icon in in your favoured vector uh, program, and uh, so what I do is I I create mine in fireworks. I, I just prefer fireworks over Illustrator. You're obviously going to have to get with the times. But I, I ironically, I I then basically copy my icon to 
uh, to Illustrator in order to save it out as a as the PDF oh, because right. because I it's have got to, better PDF PDF. It's got better uh, formatting for that. I actually first up to say I sometimes use things like Omnigraffle or okay other vector other tools to do really basic vector drawings because I find they're vector drawing tools. So yeah, anyway, yeah. So Inkscape, so escape. I I I basically you know you create you create your icon. However you're going to create it, create yeah. it. Uh, or and if you're going to use say uh, one of the many vector icon libraries that are out there, uh, you you can do that as well. Uh, get your vector into into Illustrator, save it as a PDF with a transparent background, uh, and you should be able to open that up in in Preview or whatever, and it'll be this enormous icon uh, image. Uh, I then have there's a there's a little um. A little app, I guess, or a little script from Panic, I think it's from. Yeah, so Panic did, um, they embraced resolution independence in a big way really early on. Yeah. On the Mac. I think there was a developer release of Mac OS X that had, um, you could enable resolution independence, uh, back when Apple were planning on using vector, using PDF as yeah. the way to achieve this. Yeah. And I think Coda got completely resolution independent. Entized. It looked awesome. Um, and then Apple backtracked, right? And now the Retina MacBook Pros don't use PDF or vector across the board. It's basically using bitmaps in the same way. That they iOS they use does. the same same yeah. sort of thing as iOS. And so this approach you're describing um, basically plugs that gap between allows you to use yeah. a vector file as a way of, of saying this is the design I want applied, and yeah. it rasterizes it into the right. Bitmap versions exactly that are, that are needed. Yeah, and in, into the sizes that you need for that particular yeah. device. Um, I think that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, I think it's a really pragmatic approach. It makes a real. It makes it really, really simple. And I don't necessarily think that it's useful for every image in your in your apps, uh, because obviously there are there are images that are going to be like textures or something. If you yeah. if you like me and use textures and don't really embrace the, the you know full flat. Are you uh, outing thing. yourself as a skewmorph? I'm. I'm not really a skewmorph. I just like using a little bit of texture here and there. <laughs> I don't think you're entirely alone there. But um, so there are designers I've spoken to who feel passionately about the need for pixel precision. Yeah. The need to um, be involved in that process of rasterization because of things like what happens where you've got a line like a diagonal line or a line, a curved line or a rounded corner that happens to fall between some pixel boundaries. What is the algorithm that's rasterizing it going to do? And how is that going to end up looking at the lower resolution? I, you know, designers who I've heard talking about this sort of will then say they go into Photoshop and zoom into the pixel level and then change pixels yep. to make yeah, it look all better. All our designers do that. But to me, that just seems like... Uh, I, I don't know that you'd see the difference. Oh, they do. You like try actually, and get away with it and you'll take it over to them and they'll be like, mm, that's on a half pixel. What? Really? <laughs> and they zoom right. So, yeah. apparently you can even, um, you mentioned you have to provide both uh, the at2x and the non-at2x. I think as of one recent version of iOS, you can actually get away with providing just the 2x and it'll downsample on devices that okay. are non-retina for you. I don't rely on that. Please check that. Yeah. I've heard speculation. But do uh, I don't think anyone TV. actually does it because of this need for pixel pre precision. If you only provide the, 
you know, retina resolution, then that downsampling is done programmatically and you don't know exactly what it's going to look like. Yeah. You've seen it. I think it's important that if you're using, if you're using this technique where you, you, you know, take a PDF, you, uh, you, you use it as an icon, uh, you should, um, you should definitely make sure that it looks good in both uh, Retina and non-Retina. I do all my icon design is done in in non-Retina, so that when it it zooms up to the Retina thing, you get the nice smooth edges. But that means right, so you design at one x and then double. Yeah, so yeah. I'm essentially doubling, uh, and it allows me to uh, it allows me to kind of shave off a little bit of time. Yeah. Um, and I'm not going to sit there and you know tweak my icons just so that they look especially good in uh, in in Retina. Uh, you know, because I, I'm going to design them exactly the same way. I don't. I'm not. I'm not like one of those people that thinks that you know we should we shouldn't use uh, you know double lines in 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 Retina. I think it's you can do whatever you want. Uh, in this particular case, I like to use I like to use those. Uh, so, how important is non-Retina images? Like the the this idea of designing at one x so that it looks good on non-Retina, um, and then doubling. I think it depends on the device that you're targeting. Uh, if you're targeting iPhones, we've had Retina on iPhones since what the four. Mm-hmm. So we're, I guess we've, you, we've had three you iterations think about of both Retina when it was introduced and when non-Retina stopped being available. Is non-Retina? Can uh, you still get a non-Retina iPhone? Well, the three GS. I don't think so. No, we still support the three GS. The three GS is not available, but it is. It is still out there. People are still using it. Um. You could probably get away with ret- with just Retina on an iPhone, uh, depending on who, what sort of market you're targeting. If you're targeting people who are always updating their phones, then yeah, sure, you can. You know, like I, I, I really don't see you see see a problem with with people who are you know designing, developing for for iPhones. Uh, you know, for for people like uh, you know you and I who are going to update every year, if if not every other year. Uh, but if you're going to be developing an app that's going to be used by people who may not necessarily always update their phones, mm-hmm. uh, then, you know, you can- then you really kind of need to th- consider it. Yeah. And I think I've said this before, but kids' iPad apps are classic examples where the parents have upgraded and have kept the iPad 1 for the kids to use. Right. Definitely. That's why we still support that. Yeah. And, uh, and iPads are even more so the sort of thing that you've got to really be conscious of it because- And the mini- Clearly. We have the mini now, which has the re- which has non-retina uh, capabilities. So I'm just living in a dream world where I'm thinking I don't need to think about all of this for much longer because surely there's going to come to a point soon where everything's going to be sufficiently high resolution that no. yeah, not anytime soon. It's sad. So yes, um, I was in the process of still explaining how I go through my icons. So, I'll finish that off and then we'll wrap up. Sorry, I'll stop interrupting. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, I, the, the, the reason I mentioned Panic before is because they have a little uh, little tool. Uh, I, I think it might be a script or possibly a, um, a little app which crushes PDFs. So, it works kind of like Image Optum, if you've used that. Or PNG Crush. Or PNG Crush. Uh, by removing all the- you know, excess data and stuff like that. I think the way that they do it is it actually opens it up in 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 preview and then and then saves it again because somehow saving in preview ma- like magically removes a whole lot of of cruft that's in the PDFs. Right. Anyway, so it it crushes them, uh, removes quite a fair chunk of their size, and then once I've got that, I can put that I can throw that into my uh, into my app, use this image library to open them up, 
uh, as images, and then I can customize them using uh, using core graphics as as I as I like. Add shadows, change the color, do all that sort of stuff. Nice. That's cool. That is cool. So, that's probably it. We have five minutes for a little bit of follow up. Yeah, let's do follow up. Very br- very quickly. In past episodes, we've talked about uh, user testing and getting feedback from users. Um, just came across an interesting way of doing that. Uh, a framework slash service called Heat Maps. That's Heat M A dot P S. You sign up for a, an account with them. Um, I think they've got some free trials, and uh, you download a framework for your app. And what it does is it tracks touches in your app. So it will keep track of where people each touch. So you can see the first touch, subsequent touches, and gestures. Um, and then you can use it whilst developing and, and testing. You can upload screenshots of each of the views that you're interested in getting more data about. And then uh, it'll overlay those touches as a heat map on top of those views. So nice. it'll be a way of uh, collecting information about where are people tapping most frequently, what gestures are they using in each part of your app. Um, I tried it out. It seemed pretty cool. I had a couple of technical issues with it that I wasn't able to resolve. Um, I was trying to get heat maps on top of a collection view, which, like table views, sort of re- has reuse. Um, and I think whilst it, the heat maps work on scroll views, so they can show you a heat map for a view that's bigger than the screen of your device, I think where view, view reuse was being used, it was hard to get the screenshot to be accurate anyway. Uh, but if the other thing that they've got, and we talked about earlier in terms of testing, was they've got A-B testing. So you can build into your app the idea of having different versions of a particular view, and they'll take care of the back end of collecting data about which version resulted in more people uh, tapping a particular thing or taking a particular path in your app. Yep. Um, also on the topic of tools to help in the prototyping testing process, um, briefs was re-released recently. Um, Briefs had a short life a year or so ago as an iPhone app that allowed you to prototype user interfaces. Uh, So you'd install the app on your phone and um, it would fetch, uh, I think it was called a brief case, brief, anyway, it would fetch a file that described your app's UI over the network and uh, then would allow users to tap through it uh, and it would feel very much like a native app. I think it used native transitions and things. Um, so it was a way of kind of getting wireframes in the hands of users that felt like high f- more high fidelity than just a static image. Um, it was never released on the App Store because they ran into all sorts of issues to do with app review guidelines and it was open sourced. Um, anyway, it came back. Uh, it's now a Mac app and an iPhone app and it looks awesome. I haven't had a chance to use it though. Yeah, so the new the new version of this is the Mac app is for creating the brief cast. Brief is that what cast? it used to be called? Anyway the And the iPhone app is essentially a viewer yeah. or a player yeah. for these for these things. Uh it's with- a bit similar to Prototypes app, which is another Mac app that allows you to take a set of wireframes and create kind of hotspots on them that uh, trigger actions to transition to other wireframes. Yeah. And in Prototypes app, um, you publish the the resulting kind of interactive wireframe uh, as a HTML JavaScript sort of web thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there's a web clip viewer style thing you can use on your phone. You just navigate to Prototypes 
and um, install the web clip, and then it allows you to access your prototypes. Or you can just use storyboards. Indeed. And, in fact, from the Mobile Couch Twitter account, there's a tweet linking to an example of how to use storyboards. Yeah. For this sort of prototyping. Uh, that's all I got. Excellent. And that's all we've got. So we've got time for. So, if you would like to read any of the articles that kind of allude to the topics that we've talked about today, uh, we will be collecting those and putting them into the show notes. The show notes are on the website, and the website is at jelly. No, not jelly. It is at mobilecatch.co forward slash eight. Because eighth episode. That's right. Hmm. I do these. I do these without looking at the. I, I, for Jelly and Bean, I have a script that I read, but we're much more relaxed. I'm like I can't. I can't look at my screen because it's behind me. Uh, so I have to do this out of memory. Uh, if you would like to get in touch with us, we would we would love that. Uh, we have uh, we have a way for you to email us on the website mobilecouch.co forward slash contact, uh, and uh, we also are on Twitter. Ben is at Ben Trengrove, B-E-N-T-R-E-N-G-R-O-V-E. And Jake is at J McMullen, J-M-A-C-M-U-L-L-I-N. Indeed. And I'm also back on app.net under that same account now that I've found my password again. Yeah, you, you guys are both on app.net under the same accounts. And I am at JellybeanSoup on Twitter and just Jelly on, on app.net. Because magical shortening abilities. Uh, thanks guys for listening if you are enjoying the show it'd be awesome if you gave us a review on iTunes we we do love iTunes reviews if you're not enjoying the show just tell us directly yeah we'll try and make it better yeah that'd be awesome you can email us or tweet us uh, either way thanks guys for listening we will uh, we'll talk to you in a couple of weeks time <laughs>